You're listening to WLPN 105.5 FM Chicago, and you're listening to Labor Express Radio, Chicago's longest-running labor news and current affairs radio program, news for working people by working people. I am your host, Jerry Mead Lucero, and this is the Sunday, November 19th, 2023 edition of Labor Express. Our former failed president, sexual predator, and now full-time criminal defendant loves to talk about how much winning he's achieved. Of course, that's all fantasy winning that exists only in his sick and twisted mind, as we all know. But I'll tell you where we see objectively verifiable real-world wins, one after another as of late. The labor movement in this country is on a roll. Talk about so much winning. As I promised in our last program, we have an analysis tonight of the big historic strike victory of the UAW from good friend of Labor Express, Scott Holderson. Scott will talk about the tremendous gains of these truly groundbreaking, soon-to-be-ratified contracts between the auto workers and the big three U.S. automakers. Scott also offers a sober assessment of the objective shortcomings of the deals. But the UAW strike win isn't the only winning we'll discuss tonight. On November 8th, SAG-AFTRA, the Screen Actors Guild, American Federation of Television and Radio Artists, announced that they had reached a TA, a tentative agreement with the AMPTP, which represents all the major film and TV studios, ending one of this year's longest major strikes, 118 days. I think they were beat out only by the WGA, uh, the 148-day strike of the uh, uh, Writers Guild of America, which ended in September. In the second half of tonight's program, we'll hear from two SAG-AFTRA members, including a Chicago-based actor, about why they argue that their tentative agreement, along with the WGA contract, similar to the UAW, is an historic win, and in this case, for the workers in the entertainment industry. But first up, Scott Holderson, electrician at the Ford Chicago Assembly Plant, member of UAW Local 551, a former VP of UAW Local 551, and a current UAWD Steering Committee Chair. That's the... uh, United Workers for Democracy, the reform movement in the UAW. We heard from Scott already during this UAW contract fight with the Big Three. Back in August, Scott talked to us about another historic win. You're going to you hear that word historic win a lot on tonight's program. And I'm talking about the victory of the forces of democratic union reform in the UAW last spring. We talked about that this past summer. And in that interview, Scott prepared us for the contract fight and provided a preview of what was coming. Tonight, Scott will give us a rundown of the highlights of the tentative agreements between the Big Three automakers and the UAW. I started by asking Scott how the vote on the TAs was progressing. He explained that as of Thursday night when I talked to him that the UAW members at GM had already ratified their deal and that Ford and Selenis were on the verge of doing the same. They actually have ratified their deals as of Friday. It was interesting here that the vote total at GM was 55% in favor and 45% opposed, closer than you might imagine given the scale of the gains made. But I think this is evidence of how much the strike had raised expectations among the workers, which is a very good thing and bodes well for even greater gains to be made in the next contract fight, which the union is already gearing up for with their insistence that the contract expire on April 30th of 2028, just in time for May Day, International Workers' Day that year. So if there's going to be a a strike in the next contract, it'll be right on May Day, and they're hoping that other unions will join them in that. Here is Scott Holderson discussing the state of the vote on all three TAs. Yeah, the voting is uh, just about wrapped up. Uh, They announced uh, recently that, uh, I think earlier today, that uh, GM contract is is ratified. Uh, I think it was by 55% to 45%. Uh, there's still a couple of big plants to uh, vote uh, with the uh, Ford tentative agreement and also with the Stellantis tentative agreement, but all indications are that those uh, those are going to pass as well. Uh, so 
yeah, the, the historic nature of the, this tentative agreement or this contract uh, is, uh, you know, we've, we've never seen uh, wage increases uh, like, like we're seeing in, in this contract. So, for instance, we're, uh, we're getting an 11% wage increase in the first year of the contract. Uh, and then 3% in the second, 3% in the third, 3% in the fourth, and then uh, wrap it up with a 5% uh, increase. Now, the contract is a little longer this time. Uh, and longer contracts usually aren't a good thing, but under these circumstances, uh, the contract was stretched out from four years to four and a half years so that it expires on May Day uh, of 2028. And... Uh, uh, President Fain has made it clear that he's he's hoping other uh, unions will look at that target date and try and align their uh, contract expirations uh, so that uh, when we negotiate uh, common contract expirations, uh, we put so much more pressure on the uh, companies to uh, come to terms uh, with our demands. Um, also, uh, some historic things in, in this contract negotiation. Uh, we now have the right to strike over plant closures. And that right to strike extends to the entire uh, company. Uh, so, you know, for instance, if, they, uh, if Ford were to uh, move to close a plant, uh, we would have the right to uh, strike the entire uh, company to uh, head off that that plant closure. Uh, we've seen uh, over the last 20 years uh, between the, the big three automakers, 65 plants closed. Those are 65 communities that have been decimated. Uh, and uh, the harm done to the communities and to the uh, workers, uh, not just the workers in the plants, but the, the workers in the peripheral uh, industries, the parts suppliers, the uh, mom and pop grocery stores or uh, restaurants and, and uh, taverns in, in the areas, they, they all suffer. Uh, many of them will end up closing as well because they don't have the, uh, the support of the work, workers in those factories. So uh, that is just a huge job security issue. Uh, and, uh, you know, there, there were other job security gains in the contract, but that, that was, uh, you know, groundbreaking. Uh, also, we, we got our foot in the door in the electric vehicle battery plants. Uh, many of those uh, will fall under our, uh, some of them will fall under our national agreement and others will, uh, UAW workers will have the right to transfer in there. And uh, once they're organized, they'll be organized under our national agreements as well. Uh, so that gives us a foot in the door and uh, uh, there's still a, a, a lower wage in those plants. I, I think, uh, you know, it goes up to 75% of the uh, wage in the uh, auto plants. But under the National Labor Relations Act, uh, it was illegal to strike over that issue. Uh, so, you know, we, we uh, were able to get those uh, under our national agreement. And uh, now, uh, once they're under the national agreement, uh, we have much more uh, leeway when it comes to fighting for uh, better uh, uh, conditions and, and uh, better standards uh, of living in those plants. So that's, that's huge to get our foot in the door in the, uh, in the transition and uh, have a more just transition and put ourselves in a position to be able to fight for uh, 
for more in the future. Uh, some of the things that, uh, uh, another historic thing about this is uh, the, comp the companies agreed in their uh, ratification uh, agreement that if the contract is ratified that the workers that were on strike or were laid off uh, because of the strike are going to uh, receive uh, payment uh, for each day that they were on strike or laid off. Uh, so that's something that's never been uh, never been done in a UAW agreement before. We've seen seen things like that in uh, you know some of the uh, the militant foreign unions, uh, especially in Brazil. That's where I, I first heard, and, and I was just uh, amazed that uh, they had forced GM to pay uh, the workers their uh, lost wages while they were on strike, and and uh, you know now we've done that. Uh, so, you know, th those are some of the historic things that we that we won out of this agreement. Um, but, you know, we we had historic losses leading up to this agreement. Uh, and, you know, a lot of that was uh, uh, the corrupt way that our union officials were dealing with uh, with the executives of uh, of the Detroit three. Uh, so we had lost uh, we had given up uh, in concessionary contracts. Uh, wage in, uh, increases that we had already agreed to. So they had opened the, the contract midterm and gave up uh, wage increases uh, to save the companies. We had given up cost of living allowance, which was another thing that they said we'd never get back, but we got back in this contract. Uh, so uh, some of the things that uh, are shortfalls in this contract are, uh, even though these uh, wage increases are historic, uh, they, they just barely, if even, get us back to uh, where we would have been had we uh, not given up uh, those wage increases and given up our cost of living allowance. Uh, so, you know, a lot of people were uh, expecting to get all of it back in one contract. Uh, another thing that uh, still uh, needs to be worked on in future contracts is uh, retirement uh, income. Uh, retirement security for uh, especially for those workers that were hired after 2007 under the two-tier wage and benefit structure. So we've uh, you know uh, eliminated the uh, two-tier wage structure, but we still have a two-tier benefit structure where those those workers are getting a, a 401k contributions uh, rather than rather than a defined benefit pension. And also uh, health care and retirement is a huge issue uh, because these, uh, these jobs on the assembly line, they will beat you up. Uh, you know, they take a toll on your body after uh, doing this day in and day out for, uh, you know, 20, 30, 35, 40 years. And, uh, you know, without uh, health care and retirement, uh, you know, you're, you're stuck working at at these plants longer uh, and putting all that much more strain on your body until your body breaks down. Uh, and then, then where are you left? Uh, you, you know, you're left having to file for social security disability and hoping that you can uh, actually win that uh, or uh, being destitute and, you know, having, having a broken, broken body, broken spirit in, in your retirement years. So uh, we still have retirement security to fight for. Uh, but we have uh, job security, much better job security, and uh, uh, 
now we're going to uh, hopefully parlay these uh, these historic contract wins into uh, organizing wins. Uh, already, uh, we've seen Toyota, uh, Honda, Hyundai. The foreign auto companies uh, have already increased wages and shortened the length to get to top pay for their workers. Uh, we're calling that the UAW bounce. Right. So I think you really laid out quite well um, both the, the gains and then if there are shortcomings, the shortcomings in um, this contract. I mean, certainly uh, dismantling the tiers was such an important element of uh, of this fight, um, getting things like cola and so on, and, and then starting to uh, make that just transition uh, into the electric vehicle market. Th- those, that w- those parts were so important, and those were big victories. Of course, that's also where I think, as you point out, maybe some of the shortcomings came in, the fact that there, you know, we've basically, dis- the, the wage tiers are dismantled, but the benefits tiers still remain. That's a, uh, you know, a big thing for the next contract fight, I, I can imagine. And then, you know, GM and Stellantis basically pulling the electric vehicle uh, production into the master contracts, but with the with the Ford having that step that now you need to organize. But I, I've got to imagine with these kind of gains that that organizing has got to be much easier moving forward when people see the benefits that a uh, union brings. That's that's our hope. Uh, you know, we're uh, reportedly we're getting uh, you know thousands of calls from uh, workers in these plants that are that are uh, inspired by our stand-up strike. Uh, and uh, one other historic thing about our stand-up strike in Stellantis, we reopened a closed plant. We demanded that they reopen the Belvedere assembly plant. Not only did they reopen it, but they're expanding it. And, and building a battery plant there that's going to uh, fall under the UAW national agreement with Stellantis. Uh, that's unheard of. Uh, I, I can't remember a plant that was idled uh, or closed or unallocated or whatever they, they called it to try and uh, say that it, was, it wasn't it was a violation of our contract. Uh, I, I've never heard of that happening uh, before. Uh you know, it, the plant hasn't been shut down that long, so everything in there is, is still viable and, uh, you know, ready to put back into production. All they've got to do is, is start pulling the people back, and uh, it's the people that make that uh, plant run, and it's the people that are going to make that community uh, vibrant again. Uh, that community uh, was really on, on its heels uh, when that plant closed. So uh, that was one thing that I had forgot to mention earlier. But yeah, we're we're uh, itching uh, to get busy with organizing. That's the next phase in, in the reform of the UAW. Uh, we've been working hard on, on reforming our union for uh, the last uh, four years. And, uh, you know, there's, there's more work to do, but uh, I think we've made huge strides. So one other thing, too, I wanted to address is the idea of the strike itself. So I think we saw earlier this year with the Teamsters and UPS how much the threat of a strike could bring, right, with that contract. But I think uh, we see now with the UAW even more what an actual strike can bring. I think this, you know, contract is really a groundbreaking, uh, and I think that wouldn't have happened without the strike, right? And I think this is, um, we've seen now over the course of the last few years, several really successful strikes, uh, Kellogg's, Nabisco, the, 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 uh, um, actors strike in the uh, WGA, you know, recently. So 
I'm wondering, you know, if this is really bringing the strike back to labor's toolkit, to, to, to the centrality of, uh, of, of labor struggle in this country. Yeah, and uh, let's not forget the, the John Deere strike, the yes. UAW John Deere strike from uh, 2021. Uh, all of those were, uh, you know, uh, inspirational to us. Uh, and we took a lot of inspiration from the contract campaign that the Teamsters uh, waged. Uh, they had a, a full year to, uh, you know, increase uh, the expectations of, of uh, members and put that pressure from the members. Because the pressure uh, really doesn't come from the bargaining table. It comes from the shop floor. It comes from uh, the members uh, of uh the Teamsters that are driving the, the uh, big brown trucks. Uh, that's where the power resides. And uh, that's what brought the companies to bear was, uh, you know, the pressure from the members. Uh, before our stand-up strike, uh, the best contract offer we were getting was a 9% wage increase over four years. Uh, so it took... Uh, you know, putting the pressure from the members on the companies. Uh, and the stand-up strike uh, uh, also had an inside-outside uh, aspect to it. Uh, you know, we were, we were encouraging members not to uh, take voluntary overtime. Uh, and that voluntary overtime, the companies have come to rely on, on workers uh, needing to make extra money because they pay them low wages, right? Uh, so they rely on overtime to make ends meet, but the companies rely on that overtime to get their products out. Uh, and when they don't take that overtime, it creates bottlenecks that they don't know how to deal with. So, you know, there was an inside-outside strategy to that. Both sides of that put pressure on the companies. Uh, and uh, also the, the companies uh, were kept guessing and often they were guessing wrong with the stand-up strike on uh, what plants uh, were going to be taken out and how that was going to uh, affect their bottom line. And uh, I remember uh, stories uh, from the beginning of the strike where uh, General Motors was uh, sending truckloads of uh, engines from, uh, 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 from Tennessee to uh, Wentzville, Missouri, uh, because they thought that their Tennessee, Spring Hill, Tennessee plant was going to be struck. And, uh, and then, as it turns out, they were sending the engines to, uh, to the plant that was about to be uh, walked out. Uh, and, you know, similar stories were, were happening at, at other, uh, other locations. But it, it kept the companies guessing. It kept them off balance. And uh, um, then the uh, second week of the strike... Uh, Ford got a pass because they they uh, uh, came forward with uh, cost of living allowance. Uh, that was uh, a, a big issue for us. It was one that we uh, we demanded to get back. Ford was the first one to come through with it, and uh, they came through with it at the same level that it was when when uh, we uh, uh, suspended cost of living allowance. So uh, Ford was spared in that. But the, uh, the stand-up strike in the second week was spread throughout the country because of the uh, parts depots that were spread uh, all across the country uh, to supply uh, dealerships with, uh, with parts, replacement parts. 
And uh, by spreading it across the country, it got uh, more people uh, outside of the UAW involved with our stand-up strike. And that was key to uh, building uh, public pressure on the companies. Uh, so, you know, that, that was a, a strategic thing. Uh, also, those those workers were ready to fight because part in part because they were part of the second tier. All those plants that were taken out in the second wave were lower tier plants. They they could never get to the top wage uh, in the that are are in the uh, auto plants or in the auto assembly plants. And uh, so you know that was uh, part of uh, ending the the tiered wage structure was bringing all those plants up to the top level pay. So I'm really glad you brought in um, the in and out strategy, as you, you pointed out, that, you know, the UAW really uh, pioneered the implant strategies with New Directions, Jerry Tucker, and so on, of, of uh, you know, work to rule and so on. And so it was very interesting to see how the stand-up strike utilized that history and that experience along with the willingness to actually strike. Uh, so I'm glad you brought that in. Um, one more thing I want to add, too, is uh, the, the transparency that the reform movement has brought to the UAW. It was terrific to see Sean Fain giving these weekly updates uh, on Facebook Live. It was obviously terrific for the members uh, and really gave them a lot of information that they needed to, you know, to stand strong on the picket line. But it was great for the public. It was great for people like myself who are not UAW members to be in touch of what was going on with the strike. Um, it's a level of transparency I don't remember ever seeing, you know, in a situation like this. Uh, that that really does speak well of uh, how well the reform movement has changed that union. Yeah, the, the transparency was uh, something that we've never experienced in the UAW uh, at least in in manufacturing sector, all, all uh, in past contract negotiations, uh, the uh, negotiations were all done under a cloud of secrecy. Uh, they agreed to uh, non-disclosure during the course of the uh, contract, but of course the company always leaked uh, leaked something out uh, that would put the workers in in bad light. Uh, so, for instance, during the bankruptcy proceedings, uh, you know they had these. Uh, uh, misinformation campaigns about uh, how much uh, the wages of uh, auto workers were. Well, what they did was they tacked on not only our wages, but all of our benefits and all of the benefits for uh, retired members that had been retired for decades. Uh, so that was all put on the shoulders of the people in the plants and said, uh, you know, it was because of us that they went bankrupt. No, it was because of poor management. And, you know, I, I want to give kudos to uh, the uh, UAW communications department. Uh, President Fain revamped that department, brought in uh, fresh people, and uh, changed it from a public relations to a communications. And uh, public relations is meant to uh, protect your image. Communications is meant to uh, bring the message to your members uh, during contract negotiations. So yes, this was the most transparent contract negotiations I've ever seen that any member of the UA ever, uh, UAW uh, in manufacturing has ever seen. But I will say that uh, you know some of our uh, higher ed locals have uh, conducted open bargaining sessions, and uh, that was inspirational uh, to me to see. Uh, how they would bring the, their members right to the bargaining table. Uh, so, you know, those, uh, those innovations uh, put 
immense pressure on the on the companies to uh, to come through with the demands because, uh, quite frankly, they were looking greedy. Uh, and uh, of course, we've known for years that they're uh, the greedy corporations uh, can never have enough uh, of our uh, profits. Uh, but uh, you know, by being transparent, it it made it obvious how greedy these companies are, uh, and uh, you know the the stock buybacks that they were doing during contract negotiations was just so dumb. Uh, you know, at, at least wait until the contract negotiations are over to reward your sh- shareholders and, and enrich your CEOs. Uh, they couldn't do that. Uh, so, uh, you know, we, uh, President Fain was uh, able to use that to uh, garner more, even more public support for, uh, for our efforts for the stand-up strike. Well, thank you, Scott, so much for talking with me about this and keep me abreast uh, throughout the uh, the contract fight of what was going on. I really appreciate that. Yeah, you're welcome, Jerry. Uh, great talking with you again and look forward to talking with you again soon. You're listening to Labor Express Radio News for Working People by Working People. I should point out that since I spoke to Scott on Thursday, it was announced that the vote on the tentative agreements at Ford was concluded with auto workers at Ford voting 69.3% in favor of the deal. And I believe the vote at Stellantis has also been concluded now with a about uh, 68% voting in favor. Thank you to Scott Holzer for that analysis of the auto workers' historic strike victory. This won't be the last time we'll discuss the strike wins by the UAW at the Big Three, given its importance to the class as a whole. So make sure to keep tuning in to future episodes for more. If you missed our last episode, check out uh, the podcast version of that, um, as we did provide plenty of details about the uh, gains in the contracts on that program as well. We did take a brief station ID break, but when we return, actors Harold Phillips and Alyssa Fraden discuss another successful strike and provide details on the SAG-AFTRA uh, tentative agreement. So make sure to stay tuned. You're listening to Labor Express Radio, Chicago's longest-running labor news and current affairs radio program. On November 8th, after 118 days on strike, the leadership of SAG-AFTRA, the Screen Actors Guild, American Federation of Television and Radio Artists, announced that they had reached a tentative agreement with the Alliance of Motion Picture and Television Producers, or the AMPTP. Shortly after that announcement, I reached out to a friend of Labor Express Radio, Harold Phillips, who's not only an actor and a SAG-AFTRA member, but also one of the key organizers of the Labor Radio Podcast Network, of which Labor Express Radio is a proud member. Harold arranged a Zoom call to discuss the tentative agreement and brought on board for that discussion Chicago-based actor Alyssa Fraden. Harold and Alyssa argued that the SAG-AFTRA TA is an historic win for workers in the entertainment industry. Much of our discussion focused on the role of AI, that's artificial intelligence, and how it will be managed under the terms of the new contract. I said at the beginning of the year that we'd have a special focus on the impact of AI on the working class this year. And both the WGA, the Writers Guild of America, and the SAG-AFTRA contract fights became excellent examples of the potential impact of AI on working people and how workers can fight back. I asked Harold and Alyssa to start by telling us a little bit about themselves. I'm Harold Phillips. I'm an actor and a voice artist in the Pacific Northwest, specifically Bellingham, Washington, about two hours outside of Seattle. And I'm a proud member of SAG-AFTRA. Um, my name is Alyssa Fraden, and I am a uh, also a proud SAG-AFTRA member. Um, my primary uh, job is, um, I guess it would be a voice actor, but I also do some television, some film, uh, narration, um, 
I just do a bunch of stuff and I just actually finished a show, an equity show. So that was fun. And uh, I live in Chicago with my husband and two kids. Well, thanks both of you for being on the program. Uh, I wanted to have uh, a few SAG after members to talk with about this tentative agreement that uh, you guys are voting on, I believe. Start, I think it Tuesday was the opening of that window and it'll go through, I think, December 1st. Um, so I wanted to hear what members are thinking about this, this TA, what your sense of it is, get a little bit of the uh, details of what's in the TA and then get your, your feelings toward it. Um, maybe, uh, Alyssa, if you want to start off by, 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 you know, what, giving me a little bit of details about what, what some of the really highlights or important things in the TA that people should know about. So with this tentative agreement, um, it's only for TV and film or what we call TV theatrical. So that's very, it's very narrow, but it's a very, very mature contract, meaning it goes decades. So there's a lot of stuff in it that stayed in it. And then there's a whole lot of new stuff because of technology. And what I'm excited about is um, in the fight for actors of all different categories of work, all actor performers, which is our category. So whether you're, you know, a day player, a series regular, a background performer, stand-in, dancer, singer, stunt performer, this contract is taking us, in my opinion, into the future of where we need to be going with the technology that um, our industry partners, the management and the studios are like, are going to implement whether we want them or not. And so what I think this contract does is it says, you're gonna be using this type of technology, that's great, we have jurisdiction, we have these rules and regulations to protect our workers, the members, and uh, and we're gonna have a seat at this tech table, as I, as I like to call it, so we can discuss it as opposed to being left behind in the dust. And oftentimes, in all of the decades of technology, whether it was like radio to television, to colored television, to cable, to VCR, VHS, DVD, to streaming, each time we have to fight to be recognized. And this time we are meeting um, the challenge head on right now. And I'm, I'm really appreciative of that with this contract to get where we need to be going into the future for future members which you know, I've been in the union almost 30 years. So I, the person that's coming up will have a better footing in the industry as a storyteller, as an actor performer, as a professional performer getting paid a, a good salary with protections. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. Um, as Alyssa mentioned, it feels like often the actors are behind the ball when new technology comes up and we're running to catch up to make sure that we're protected in the workplace, that we're getting treated fairly. And this time around, our negotiating committee and our leadership were very thoughtful about thinking not about where we are, but where we may be moving to in the future and putting protections in place, which I'll be honest with you, are not perfect. There could very well be some scenarios that these protections don't envision. And you've heard some members bring up some things that they're a little concerned about. But what they are, are a starting point to be able to build on as we move forward. And the union has put into this contract consultations with the employers step by step by step in order to make sure that things are going in the right direction. So... 
I'm very excited about the technology provisions in the contract. I'm also very excited about the fact that we have some tremendous gains that we just would not have had if we hadn't been on strike and if we hadn't been so strong on the strike lines. We have things that the union has been trying to do for decades in this contract, and they finally got put forth. There's a a, a wonky provision in the contract to do with pension and health and contributions to the pension and health plans have been capped at a certain amount for like 40 years, Jerry, I mean, for a long, long time. And each cycle they get brought up and each cycle, nothing happens. This time they were able to actually raise those pension and health caps for the first time in decades. That in and of itself is a huge achievement. So I definitely want to come back to that question about the strike in particular and, and whether that was important to make these gains. Um, but you both point out, I think, uh, the AI issue, which is, you know, I think been the issue that most people have heard about with this particular uh, contract and with this strike. Um, I know there's still a little controversy out there about how much that was handled or not uh, with this with this TA. So I know, I think most will agree that this is a big step forward, uh, as you guys have said, uh, in terms of addressing this issue. There's these issues of uh, consent to using, you know, uh, your your likeness and so on. There's um, uh, compensation if you're, you know, if they do use a digital version of your likeness, th those are two areas that are being addressed. Um, I think, the controversy comes in and, and some people feeling like, you know, what we needed to do here was just, you know, block AI altogether, or um, there's this concern about what happens if the industry starts producing actual uh, totally, you know, fake individuals, basically totally digital individuals that are not not even based on real actors. Is Does the contract address that in the future? These are some of the things I've heard it that have been raised as concerns. I'm curious to get your guys' thoughts about that. Actually, Jerry, the contract does specify what happens with a completely AI-created individual. Um, there's a particular term in the contract which isn't coming to mind right now, but there are actually provisions for these artificially created performers who may have an eye from one performer, a nose from another performer, a chin from another performer, they've actually thought about what is going to happen in that case. And it should be clear that at this point, I don't think that that's happening now, but that just points to how forward thinking this negotiation was and what the union brought to the table. So yeah, they have protections built in for that as well as for what they call digital replicas, where a performer may be scanned and then may be inserted into a scene or something about that performer may be changed, perhaps um, the lighting or their position as seen or something like that. The detail in this contract is actually very, very thorough about that stuff. I agree. I think um, perhaps you're speaking about or maybe uh, looking for, Harold, the uh, generative AI, which is we're calling synthetic fakes. Thank you. Yes which I think is brilliant. Uh, one of the things that our negotiating team really did was carve out language that is not, 
And I think this is really important. I've, I've, I've been in past negotiations for other contracts and people throw around terminology and that becomes basically the nomenclature that you're using, right? Like, hey, can you hand me a Kleenex? But Kleenex is a brand and we've just started saying that. So we're all saying AI, we're all saying streaming, but it is means many things. Those are like umbrella terms, but we got really specific with language, language that's codified, that when used correctly, people will know what it is that they are entitled to and what needs to happen for it to, to actually initiate. So in a digital replica, at in time of engagement of employment, you need to get consent. So it's not like, hey, I'm going in an audition and I'm signing away my consent to be scanned. That was happening to members on set already. People would show up to work, they'd go in a wardrobe, then they'd be scanned and they wouldn't get paid consent or, or any type of uh, control. They would just be like, oh, this is my job. And people weren't being ignorant. They just were like, that's what I was here to do. It takes a really, and it, any, I feel like any, a person in any situation where you don't have the power, right? I walk onto set, there's a director, there's a hierarchy. I don't have the power until action and then it's my scene and then I have the power to control that scene in a sense because I'm gonna be doing my job. And you just walk in, you go, sure, I'll go to hair, sure, I'll go to makeup, sure, I'll do a stunt call, sure, 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 because we are team players. This says in a digital, uh, in the digital replica language that at, point of engagement or employment, I have to get consent. They have to get consent. But in that consent, it's not like, hey, can we just use you? It's specific. There is such specificity. It's like, we need to use you in this costume, doing this, in, and then you're going to be in this episode doing this, and it's going to air at this point. That is a lot for any producer to imagine in order to come up to a day player or uh, a guest star, or even a recurring. I can understand it with a series regular year after year after year, especially if the character dies off, they wanna bring them back, they wanna do something, who knows? But as a day player uh, and a scale performer, I feel like if, I, if someone's asking me for consent, one, it's gonna start at a wage that is scale. It's not below, it's not negotiable. It's not freely bargained, which is excellent as well, because it gonna, it's gonna cost them not only to negotiate it, it's gonna cost them if they use it on a day, I get paid for that day, even though I didn't show up for that day. Right. Then it's gonna get paid for every subsequent negotiated time for this time that I get to say, listen, you can do this for the, the year of the show, whatever. So I feel like people are really like kind of running to that edge of the cliff and thinking we're jumping off as opposed to where I was when we were on strike was to say, I'm not afraid of AI. We're not, uh, we're not saying no AI. We're just saying, if you're going to use it, we want to know what the terminology is. We want to be a partner of it. We want to say in it. And that's what we got. We got consent and we got compensation. And I feel like that is getting um, lost in the discussion because they're like, oh my gosh, they can copy me. I'm out. I'm going to vote no. And I'm like, well, no, <laughs> no, I don't think people are going to be doing these fully AI. And as far, as far as synthetic fakes, you know, I asked a question about that instead of calling, you know, just machine learning. It's really, um, it's really next level stuff to come up with a fully synthetic fake three-dimensional emotional character 
especially considering we're going to be back at the table in 31 months to like figure out if all this worked out or not. In addition, we have two negotiated time periods within each year to sit down with the industry and say, okay, what's working, what's not working, what's next on the table. So it's, it's really working hand in hand with the industry. Um, and that I think is super important for us to realize is like AI isn't going anywhere. We all know that. Right. I've seen the commercials. <laughs> they talk about AI in every other level of business. We know why the WGA was on, out on strike. They have term terms as well. So I think that we got very, very detailed protective guardrails. And it's going to take all of us from you know your agent to casting director and each other to hold each other accountable and not try to find a loophole to abuse the language. And that's, that happens in every contract. Contract interpretation gets abused all the time. You know, I think maybe an analog in some ways to this earlier in the labor movement, right, is what the ILWU did around the ports, right? So containerization was coming. That was, they weren't, they knew, they realized that they weren't going to be able to prevent that from happening, right? So they negotiated in such a way to make sure that their members would benefit rather than just be, you know, put out of uh, jobs and lose. And to this to this day right now, uh, believe me, if you ever go to, down to San Pedro in Los Angeles, uh, everybody wants to be a member of the ILWU because those guys make great wages and they have great benefits packages and so on. So uh, even though there's been some, I think there's some that to this day that still feel like maybe it should have fought more or whatever, but they they made, I think, a smart choice of realizing they couldn't prevent it. And so they, they negotiated contracts that took advantage of the developments. And I think that's kind of what you're doing here in the entertainment industry with AI. Yeah. And the UAW just did that as well with the EV. Like right. I, they saw what was happening. They weren't going to be, you know, there's obviously robotics within the assembly line system. We see that, but it's still, you, there's still the human worker there. And so what does that mean? And they fought for it. And I think they were hugely successful. I don't know their deal, but I'm just going to say they got up, they, they picketed, they struck, they were smart and they were strategic and then they got a deal. So whatever it was they did, they saw what will protect workers in the future. And that's also leads to, and I, I really want to, I don't want to, what being on strike is a hard choice for a membership. It's hard individually. It's hard collectively. And we are certainly appreciative and understand what that did to other locals and other markets, whether, you know, people talk about the dry cleaner and the restaurant. We understand what it did to every single, but we had to, like the WGA, take a stand. And that will keep our industry working in the future, which will hopefully keep all those other people who rely on our industry working and profiting as well. Sure. So it was a huge sacrifice and we appreciate everybody's support really, really do. Um, but I think we're going to be better off with what we got moving forward for all of these different uh, services that we all touch in the industry. And I'm glad you brought the UAW in because I like to kind of shift gears a little bit here and talk about the strike in particular. Um, I think we've seen this past what well, we've seen actually now for the last couple of years um, after decades kind of of the strike being something that unions avoided at all costs almost because uh, there had been so many lost strikes and they were, there there was a point in the labor movement where it almost seemed like, you know, uh, the, the strike was a very, very last resort and that we, you know, we wanted to avoid at all costs. I think there's been a change recently and I think it's been a beneficial change to realize uh, the strike is 
one of the most important tools labor has, right? And I think we saw, uh, just to keep it a little bit of a narrow focus, just with when we look at the threat of the strike in the case of uh, the Teamsters and UPS won a decent contract. I think there's some criticisms to make of that contract, but some decent contract. But even better was the UAW actually going on strike and winning what I think is really very much an historic agreement, right? I guess we can put the uh, uh, SAG after in that case now, right? Which is uh, you have really won a, the key demands that you had. How much do you think the strike was really what what made that happen? You know, Jerry, I think the strike had a huge effect on this, um, largely because the membership said they were willing to stay on strike until they got the kind of deal that they wanted. And as Alyssa pointed out, it's hard to go on strike. Um, this was four months of people not being able to work and um, a lot of economic hardship but the stakes were so high, not just in the terms of AI, but in the terms of the ability to make some kind of a living in this industry. As you said, the focus has been on AI, but there were economic factors at play here too, particularly in the new world of streaming that doesn't pay the same wage as traditional movies and television do. And the fact that we were able to stay out as long as we were, the fact that we were able to stay strong and get this solidarity, not just from other people in the entertainment industry, but from our sibling unions like the Teamsters, like the UAW, who showed up at the picket line, I think that really made an impact on the employers. And it let them know that there wasn't going to be a 2024 TV season unless they could actually come to the table. There was not going to be promotion for any new film that they had in the pipeline unless they came to the table. The amount of money the employers lost over the course of this strike is immense. And that pressure, as well as all the support that not just union members, but average people who stood with us during this strike, that that made a big impact. So yeah, I, th I think it was a huge, huge factor in how we got this tentative agreement. I also think, if I may, looking at labor as um, a movement, which I think might address a different point. So there are, you know, there are oftentimes people in our industry don't see us as a labor organization. Um, but we are, we have a, our one, our one job is to protect us when we work, when we work, if we work and it's from start to finish and the finish can be, you know, 50 years down the road, you're getting a residual. That's what it ensures. So, um, I do think there was something perhaps happening in, you know, the, the universe where we had COVID and it really forced people who were working harder than ever. I mean, we didn't get to work, right? It took a lot to get us back to work and our unions came together and figured it out. And that was the really the very first joint negotiations uh, opposite all of our employers. So the IATSE, Teamsters, DGA, uh, WGA and SAG after, we all came together and said, these are the terms to keep workers safe. 
and the uh, and the um, industry agreed with it. So I think that started the whole unity of within our industry. But more than that, all these other workers, gig economy workers, were seeing the their what they did as less than the value of of the worker that was getting an hourly wage or did have benefits. And so you see workers at Starbucks saying. I, I want to be recognized. I want to collectively bargain. I want to be recognized by, and you see teachers in, in red states that don't have unions that are marching, maybe not for a union, but for uh, fairness and equity within their wages and protections from their legislature that, you know, because they're a public union are getting paid for. So I do think when we went out on strike, because the WGA mighty and strong and very laser focused on what they do, uh, we were able to say, those are our brothers and sisters and siblings. We identify with them and we've been working with them through, you know, nearly three years of COVID to now on strike and the greater universe of the labor movement was also there with us. So you mentioned the UPS. UPS was out with us. Um, in Chicago, we have the Chicago Federation of Labor. Every single solitary union came out. And I will tell you, our, a lot of our uh, actor performers in Chicago are uh, members and teachers at Columbia College, and they too are out on strike right now. And it is the same labor organization showing up. It is not just, you know, the Federation of Teachers, the International Federation of Teachers and SAG-AFTRA. It's the CTU, it's, it's IBEW, it's the Teamsters, it's SEIU. We're all showing up for each other. And that creates on a human level, the community that we all lost during COVID. And so we're getting together and our strike in a way was very successful as an organizing tool for community. It was also a, a successful uh, education for existing members and new members and for people who wanted to be in SAG-AFTRA. And so even if we, didn't get every you know pony we wanted in the contract that we went in with you never do in a negotiations you go in high they come in low and you meet in the middle and i really feel that we had some tremendous gains for almost every category of work within a wage increase and additional diversity equity inclusion and health prevention clauses that were an intimacy coordinator things that oh, never ever were written and codified right, yeah. that's genius right there and the caps that you talked about you go on strike just for caps and they and we still were able to make a case to raise the caps so yeah anyways, i'll just say yeah i'll just say one quick thing about this jerry you know we are in a moment right now and the terms keep changing it was strike tober then it was solidarity summer and now it's solidarity season what it all boils down to is the public is waking up to the fact that we've been dealing with huge income inequality and working people are stronger when they stand together. And whether you're in a union or you're not in a union, you're starting to see the fact that unions win protections and win better wages for their members. And it trickles down. It sets the standard for an entire industry. And that's one of the reasons I think where there why there was such support for the SAG after strike, because on one level, yeah, people look at us and they say we're actors, you know, 
Is it a real job? But on another level, as we told our stories about how we were struggling to make a living, how we were struggling to even pay our rent, how we didn't have health insurance because of the thresholds that we had to make, a lot of people heard their own stories there of struggling to make ends meet and fighting against big corporations who've been keeping the wages down and squeezing productivity. It was pretty easy, I think, for them to identify with us. Right. So there is so much more I would have liked to talk to you. I had so many other questions, but we're running close on time and I don't want us to get cut off. So um, so I really appreciate you both being here. I, I Harold, I'm glad you brought up or uh, Alyssa, you brought up the the intimacy coordinators. That That's a whole nother topic. I'd love to maybe have a separate, you know, uh, program to talk about that because it's such an important one and so relevant right now. Um, so we'll, we'll have to come up with another opportunity to do that. But Thank you so much for both for being here and uh, uh, and and explain to us what why this uh, contract is so important and was such a victory. Yeah, Muriel, you're welcome. And for anybody who hears this, who is a SAG after member and they go to sagafter.org, everything full transparency. We're not hiding anything. You know, you can read the terms in the memorandum of agreement as well as uh, you're able to vote as long as you're a member in good standing, which means you paid your dues and it is dues time. So we also have a dues referral program in case people are hard, uh, have a hard time paying those dues. You just do, you just check the box that you need to uh, defer a little bit. And you know, your union is you and you're there for each other. And Harold and I are half a country away from each other. And yet here we are. <laughs> it's a national union. You know, it, it's not just New York and Los Angeles. It's everywhere. And that's another thing that we saw during the strike is all of these people in all kinds of different markets popping up. The one other thing I will say to my fellow sag after members is read, go to the informational meetings because the information is there. I know there's a lot of talk right now about the contract, but there's also a lot of information that you can get. I went to an information meeting online yesterday. It was three hours. You think it would be boring. No, actually, it was really easy to understand. And they took a huge amount of that just answering questions from members. So the union is making sure that you can get your questions answered. Take the time to find out what's going on, get your questions answered, and then vote. Because it's a democratic process. You're listening to Labor Express Radio News for people by working people. As you heard me comment at the end of that interview with SAG after members Alyssa Friedman and Harold Phillips, there's so much more that we did not have time to discuss. In particular, contract language around intimacy coordinators. These are members of a, uh, a film or television crew that make sure that the uh, actors and actresses who participate in sex scenes or other intimate scenes are treated correctly. Uh, it's a really important development and something I love to explore further. So, so you can expect to hear more on the SAG after contracts on upcoming episodes of the program. And there's so much more that happened since our last episode. Here in Chicago, we won the ordinance establishing five paid days off in addition to the already mandated five sick days that workers in Chicago already enjoy. This really put Chicago in the lead in regards to labor-friendly municipal governance. And I'm sure most of you heard about the nationwide Starbucks worker strike last Thursday. So much I wish I could have covered, but we just didn't have enough time tonight. So make sure to tune in to the next episode in two weeks' time, which will include another SAG-AFTRA member, uh, Jasmine Cardenas, who 
is one of the lead organizers of a workers' theater collective called Workers Theatro, which uses theater as an organizing tool. Very interesting stuff, so definitely tune in for that. Well, that's all for tonight's episode, but you can always find out more by visiting our Facebook page at laborexpress.org. That's laborexpress.org. LaborExpress is a nonprofit 501c3 member of IBEW Local 1220. Views expressed on Labor Express are those of its producers, not necessarily those of IBEW. Labor Express is a production of the Committee for Labor Access in Chicago, the world capital of the labor movement. Labor Express is a proud member of the Labor Radio Podcast Network, working people's voices broadcasting worldwide 24 hours a day. Find out more at laborradionetwork.org. Songs are themes called Worker Songs, written by Ed Pickford and recorded by the Dropkick Murphys. Tune in every Sunday at 8 p.m. or Monday at 11 on 105.5 FM or lumpenradio.com for more Labor Express. <laughs> Yeah, this one's for the workers who turn out a 